it's in the game. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the In The Game podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Stacks on Stacks on Stacks. Lads, we are being brought to you by Tavour. Make sure to go to tovour.com or download the Tavour app straight to your mobile device and use promo code TAPROOM for $10 off your first purchase of $25 or more. Trust me, it is well worth it. You don't even have to leave your couch. Literally, all you have to do is download an app. You can pick your beers throughout the month. Then they charge you. Then they ship it to you. It's a beautiful app, man. Definitely some great craft beer on there. You can listen to Taproom Sports podcast every Monday morning. We're streaming live now on Sundays, but Ben and I are always drinking great craft beer. We're reviewing it and talking sports throughout the week. But I got a very unique and interesting show tonight. So... I went live with Daniel Lopez from the Diamond Talk uh, podcast earlier. We were talking everything about the Major League Baseball and Major League League Baseball Players Association and their uh, collective bargaining agreement talks. Had some great conversation. Um, You know, Daniel and I have been, we've known each other for a minute and we always be talking baseball and kind of went off on a lot of tangents about baseball. So you definitely are going to want to stay tuned. I'm going to play that for you guys. And then I have Patrick Madden on. He is the columnist from the Big, Big East blog. Um, A a dude that just knows the Big East in and out. A great dude. Um, And I'm going to play that for you guys too. So just stick with me. Let's get to Daniel Lopez from the Diamond Talk podcast. Stuff happening today isn't about 2022 it's not even about 2023 2024 it's really about how can we set up baseball for the next 10 to 20 years which is why it's taking so long and why the way both people i'm gonna say both sides went about it because i think the owners have a lot more power in these negotiations than than more than the players so you know it, it it's it's rough to watch though yeah no it's it's been brutal and it's the wildest thing to me dude is like Baseball is basically at its highest peak ratings wise, um, you know, viewership wise, attendance wise, and and especially in a pandemic too. They had like the highest attendance they had in like 20 years. And then it's like the owners are like, all right, we're, you know, we're going to hold our ground and they don't negotiate for months on months. Like they could have negotiated a year ago and they refused to. And now they wait till a week before and they're like, all right, we have this deadline on March 1st. If we don't reach reach this deadline, we're going to cancel games. And the players are like, all right, you know, they are standing their ground. Like the MLB union, and, you know, you're in law, so, you know, you can speak a lot more to this, but their union is definitely one of the strongest, if not the strongest unions in all of America. You know, and and they are very united. They voted unanimously on no on the last proposal. You know what I mean? So they are obviously, you know, toes dug in the sand. Like they are not budging. And I don't know if you saw the the final proposal that the owners gave them, but, I mean, it was barely any – like, it wasn't even – it was kind of a slap in the face. Yeah. You know, and the problem isn't really – the because you look at the numbers and you automatically think, oh, the owners are moving, though. They're moving closer to the side. That should count for something. Right. What you have to remember is whatever number they're moving closer to, 
they're making at least five times that. Like right. at least I, I, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I can't mathematically tell you how that works, right? Like you'd have to have the numbers and it's a whole thing, but just in a business sense, right? You don't do things unless you're going to be, you're going to be profitable to a certain extent, right? right? And business in general, you don't do anything without at least being three times profitable, right? The numbers that they're throwing at the major league players, which by the way, everyone's talking about, um, you know, billionaires, billionaires, it has nothing to do with that. This has a lot more to do with the minor league players and, and the guys that come up before they sign those contracts. Yep. Right. Those are, those are the insulting numbers. Right. You know, in, in today's game, I think we've gotten a little bit, we see the, the, the Tatis juniors getting their, you know, four four fifty million million deals. And we think that's what's happening. The truth is, there's a lot of guys that won't see anywhere near that. Yep. And when there are five years of arbitration baseball that they might have been a good player, but not a great player expire, you're probably not seeing them in the major leagues again. Right. Or, or they'll struggle to get back up there, as we've seen with some players. So this has long lasting effects. Yeah, and I think a, a big part of it, too, in, you know, being an A's fan, I can attest to this, is that, you know, John Fisher, the owner, worth $3 billion, but he only spends, like, $30 million, yeah, and then he gets, yeah. like, $90 million in revenue sharing. So, I mean, the guy's, like, profiting, like, he's running the A's as a business more than he is yeah. as, like, a toy, which a lot of, you know, s- great, successful sports franchises are run as. But at the same time, it's, like, it's costing these players money. We've seen the last like two off seasons, uh, maybe even three, but the two off the top of my head were like, you know, guys are going deep into free agency and they're g- getting like less than, well, I mean, I can't say less than market value because you're only worth what someone's willing to pay you. But, you know, when 16 of the four, uh, 30 teams are, aren't willing to pay anybody, like it v- very much cuts your, uh, your chances to make money down. And so I'm seeing like the biggest difference is the is the floor, the salary cap floor yeah. that they want. And that and honestly, that's also dangerous territory because then you get into a situation like the NBA where you have like average guys making a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that kind of hurts yeah. your team from a fan's perspective because then you get stuck on these bad contracts. And unless you're the Yankees, it's like, all right, dude, we're we're yeah. stuck. <laughs> we're stuck in mediocrity until this dude's contract is up. You know, where we're, we're at for the owners, right? And, and you know this as an A's fan. It's not that the money's not there. The yep. A's are a profitable organization. Yep. The Tampa Bay Rays, who have three fans a year show up to that ballpark, <laughs> they're a profitable organization. Yep. There's not one Major League Baseball team that isn't running at a profit yep. and at a high profit, right? Like anyone here who's ever been to a baseball game and paid 16 bucks for an eight ounce glass of beer that <laughs> if you, if you like do the average, it's like 35 cents that you've spent for that beer. Cause they get it at such great price at wholesale. Right. That, trust me. These people are profitable. We should not be crying about the owner's pennies that they're losing. It's, it's insane. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you, you mentioned not having a floor. Part of the stuff that hurts baseball is that unlike other sports, the minor league system is kind of key to, to what organizations do. That's facts. Yep. And because of that, owners take advantage of that. And they've been taking advantage of it more, a lot more recently because younger players have been better and more prepared to come into the major leagues than in the past. So what we're seeing right now is the game is at its youngest it's ever been, where when you're 30 to after your age 30 year, if you're not at least a borderline all-star player, your contract's not going to be worth shit. 
Yep. And odds are, if you're a below average player, you're out of the league within two years. Yep. Right. So right now, Major League Baseball owners are profiting and they're killing that. Right. Look at Max Muncy. Like Max Muncy went from the A's who they weren't paying him a lot. He was a minor league player. Yep. Goes to the A's. I mean, goes to the Dodgers. Dodgers weren't paying him a lot. He was a minor league player. He gets a deal that no matter how much they pay him, unless they do some ridiculous amount, he's going to be underpaid for his career. Yep. For the production he put out there. Like, there's just no way around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the other thing, too, is like the whole MLB clock thing. You know, like MLB teams, they hold guys back until they're like 22, 23, and yeah. then they have six years of arbitration control. So by the time these guys hit, you know, the unrestricted free agent market, they're like 29, 30 years old and they only have one contract. Yeah. So you're right. Like it's a very small percentage of guys. And I don't think people understand that. Like they're not fighting for the Garrett Coles of the world or the uh, Max. um, uh, Oh, my God. Max Scherzer's making 45 mil. Yeah. This is like the average guy, dude. Like the 99%. And that's. Yeah. That's really for like. That's something that as a person, as like a human being, like I actually like truly respect of these like yeah. millionaires, you know, the top 1%. Because that's where we see in other leagues, the MLB, the NBA, where there's a separation of players because it's like you have the guys that are making a ton of money and they're like, dude, I just want to fucking play and make my money, you yeah. know, and they don't really care about anybody else. But baseball is a lot different. That's why they have a very strong union. But baseball is almost like a cult following, right? Where it doesn't run like, like you mentioned, it doesn't run exactly like other sports. And a lot of it is because, you know, I think out of, out of football, NBA, NHL, maybe not NHL, but baseball has one of the most like traditional, like historic kind of, that's why people play. Right. Right. That that's where they're chasing. They're chasing the grades. I think I see that. I see that a lot in hockey. Not that I watch a lot of hockey, but it's the only other sport that I really see that right. Basketball, you, you talk about like, you know, LeBron, Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but that's a whole separate level. Right. With baseball, it's about all of them. It's about your, you know, we're going to talk about Phil Coke 20 years from now when your average person doesn't know who Phil Coke is, right. but your lefty coming from Juco is going to know exactly who Phil Coke is, right? It just has that kind of like familiarity to it. So it, it is a little bit different because of that. I want to ask you, cause you have obviously a legal background. Uh, you know, like what's the next step here? Like we, we heard a lot of like bringing arbitrators in and we also seen it in the 94 strike where the, um, the owners were kind of like, okay, we're going to bring in replacement players. Yeah. And then that's when they kind of brought arbitrators in to kind of negotiate. Like, what do you think that the next step is like from a legal perspective? You got to get closer. Um, that, that's flat out. You have to get closer. One of the things that, so one of the, the red flags that, that I saw early on, like not early on, like when these negotiations were happening was they wanted to bring in a, a federal mediator yeah. pretty much off the bat. Right. That is the worst possible move because it, it shows bad faith. Right. right. You don't even have an offer on the table yet. What are we mediating? Right. What are we going to talk about? What are we going to negotiate here where we don't even know what one side is bringing to the table? You know, it just didn't make sense. And the thing is, and the truth is, MLB owners and their lawyers and the people they hired, you know, God bless them or whoever they are, <laughs> they played this in a, in a world where social media isn't what it is today. Right. If this was 1992 and you put out there in the news where you can show more of the media and say, hey, the MLB owners are just trying to mediate this. They want to come closer to this, right? They're trying to do all these things to, to, to you know, talk to the players, but the players aren't cooperating. The players are really greedy. In today's social media age, that doesn't work, yep. right? 
we all know that we're getting on. We're going to have opinions. The players are going to come out, clear the story. We have three to four reporters that as soon as they hear something, it's on Twitter, yep. right? You, you just don't have that kind of gamesmanship in the legal part of it, yeah. right? So the next step here is they have to get closer. They, they, they have to make a legitimate effort to get closer. And what I see from the players is they see how the game's being played and they're not falling for it, right? They're not going to fall for, hey, maybe the fans might not like us. Maybe the fans might not come here and, and, and root for us. Like they know that's not the case. Right. So the best thing that's happened for the players is social media. Um, and it's hurting the owners and, and it's hurting the perception of the owners. Cause honestly, not for nothing. I like, I hate Rob Manfred as a human being. And as I think he's a pretty shit attorney, if he even went with this kind of crap, <laughs> but like, you know, it, but it's hurting the game. And, and honestly, yeah. you're, you're, you're wasting more dollars on this bullshit than finding a resolution that makes your game more profitable, which you mentioned last year, the numbers are up in every category, every category, even that young category of like 18 to 25, which has traditionally been dropping in the last like two decades, even that went up. So you had an opportunity to just double down, make this, you know, add on top of last season. And instead all that, all that like momentum, you're kind of just crushing it. Yep. So the the thing that they're like basically the furthest apart on is obviously the the arbitration pool, which is like they're very far off on, like they're not even close. And then the owners want like a fourteen team playoff, and I yeah. think is like like general fans are like, dude, fourteen team, like we play a hundred and sixty two game season for fourteen teams to make the playoffs. Like, what's the point of like half these right. games then, dude? You know? Yeah. Like, and look, baseball season's so long that regular season games are watered down as they are. Right. We talk about it all the time where baseball is hard to gauge who really is the best players because it's the sport that you can inflate stats the most. And, and by that, I don't mean like, you you know, you go out there and, and you score like extra touchdowns right in the NFL. Right. It's, it's just like you you play more average to below average competition because there's so many games that you kind of need bodies out there sometimes. Yep. So, you know, everyone in the AL West last year when Texas was using their 88th reliever out of the bullpen. Right. <laughs> And they were able to you know get at bats against them. Those numbers went up, right? Yeah. So baseball season is long enough, right? I think I think if, if you're a baseball fan, you love baseball, but you also know there's some games that we can do without. I think right? that's the dangerous part about 14 team playoff too is yeah. that you know a team like the Yankees, for example, who normally spend north of 200 million dollars a year, they're like, okay, we can make the playoffs winning 79 games, so we don't have to spend that much <laughs> right. money. Right. And I think the best example is, and this is something that you touched on, on on the SAW page is with the NFL, we saw the seven seeds be garbage, right? Who was this? The Eagles, they got trampled, right? They made the playoffs as the last seed there. You can tell they didn't belong. Yep. Same thing on the AFC. I don't even remember who that last um, person on the AFC was, but I know they, got, they also got crushed. And baseball is kind of heading that way too, where we're kind of changing the dynamics of what we see baseball being played as, right? Because the wild card game, it's awesome. But let's be honest, it's not really – it doesn't really show what your team has done throughout the season, right? Because baseball is played by series. Right. So you bring it down to one game, it's super exciting. It makes people want to watch. But if you keep watering it down like that, eventually it loses its value. You yeah. know, you still want value. As exciting as it is, you still want to have that value to it. Well, I think we've talked about this before, you and I, uh, whether online or, or not. But I, I always say, like, Baseball is the one sport where, like, the regular season champion to me means 
as much as the World Series champion because to have yeah. the best record throughout 162 games is very difficult, dude. Like, absolutely. Because I mean, especially nowadays, like, look at the Dodgers last year; they lost like half their starting rotation throughout the entire <laughs> yeah. season. You know what I mean? Like, and the fact that they were able to still be in the playoffs—I mean, that's that tells you that organization has incredible depth. Like, they just have great players. But, uh, you know, 14 teams in the playoffs. You can get in there, and MLB playoffs, Daniel, you know this too, like anything can happen. It's like the yeah. one sport where like the best team doesn't always win in the playoffs. It's yeah. just a team that's the hottest, a variety of things, the healthiest, the hottest. But we, we don't see that in other sports, really. You don't see the, the best team in the NBA lose in the first round, whereas like mm-hmm. baseball, we do see that all the time. Yeah. I just, I, I just don't want the game to be ruined with 14 teams, dude. And I, I think the, <laughs> the players see that too. They don't want it. So where are they going to – but where are the players going to give in the right. CBA? So it's – that's the really hard part, right? Because you listen to the players and especially like Anthony Rizzo and that's why we said, like, this is about the future generations. Yeah, that was a players. great, great tweet. Yeah. Yeah, and and that mean that can mean a lot of things, right? One, we know that minor league teams have been getting cut, right? Last year we they cut a, a a shit ton. This year they want to do the same. They want to cut even further. So you bring up the the playoff question and bringing it to fourteen games. One, that's half the league. You're telling you're telling me that half the league makes the playoffs. There's thirty MLB teams. Fourteen of those is, is essentially half of them, right? Yeah. Like it's pretty much. I think that's a great thing that baseball's always had too. Is like. It's always it's always been a select number of teams, division winners mm. and one wild card. You know, now yeah. it's two wild cards. I would like to see an extended wild card, three games. I don't like the one game playoff, but it is what it is. Mm. But I don't want to see like I don't want to see it watered down, dude. Like I don't yeah. want to see the Kansas City Royals get in the playoffs with seventy five right. wins because they play in a fucking shitty division. Sorry, excuse my language, <laughs> but like I just I don't want to see that, dude. Like as a fan of the game. I don't think anything. I don't think anyone wants to see that, right? Like, p- part of growing the game isn't to put a watered down version of it out there, right? Playoff playoff baseball is amazing. Yeah. You watch you watch October baseball, and some of the most exciting, some of the most exciting stuff in sports. Honestly, I I rather watch a, a a MLB playoff game than some of the other playoff games, just because there there like you mentioned, there is so many different things that can happen. They usually end up happening. Yeah. Right. Um. I think the one thing that I've come around in recent years that we originally disagreed on was the best team doesn't necessarily win. There is so many factors to it that, you know, timing matters so much. What I don't like about the the, the playoff expanding and what they want to do with it is the first thing, the the, the proposals are a little bit too like wonky, right? Like the whole thing about the first, the first team gets to choose who they want to play from the other (laughs) walkouts. I think that's stupid. Hey, right? remember, like, remember that movie Basketball? I do remember Basketball. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, they yeah. like, dude, they have the playoff picture. Dude, that's what it reminds me of. This team <laughs> plays this team, and they, and they, if they win, they play. It's like, dude, come on, man, what are yeah, we like, doing here? We don't, we don't need, we don't need all that, right? Yeah. Like, I think if you if you respect yourself as a manager, you're not gonna go out there and say, oh, we want to play this team because you think they fucking suck, right? Like, like that's not what they're gonna be saying. Um, it's, Plus, it's that's motivation the for the other team too. Yeah, like, and I get it. I get the hype around it, right? I, it's very WWE, right? Call out your person. Very WWE. <laughs> I like that, dude. <laughs> go, go fight them in the ring. But the truth is, though, like, from, from a baseball standpoint, right, and just from from a who should play who standpoint, 
I, I like the fact that the regular season means something. I don't yeah. want the regular season not to mean something. I, I think the one the one thing I don't like about the NBA is I feel like the regular season really doesn't matter. Doesn't do right? it. Like, like you watch a lot more basketball than I do. And, and I think like we could agree on that. The regular season is kind of just like maybe a surprise team gets in, but even then they're bounced after the first round. Yep. Right. Like, you know, with, with baseball, you have your heavy hitters, right? You have a team like the nationals that won the last time we had a full season. No one expected them to win. They came out of nowhere, but you can't sit down and break it down and not make sense of it. Well, the Braves won last year. And, that was a full And the Braves season. won last year. Yeah. 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 Which but, was, I guess, was a full season. I was thinking like pre-pandemic. But I mean, but, like going to the best team. Like, if the Dodgers were fully healthy, you think the Braves actually beat them in seven games? Like, it's hard to say. It's likely hard to say, not. Right? But I mean, like, very yeah. likely not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you also think the Braves have full health, right? They have Ronald Acuna Jr. They have That's uh, Mike Soroka. Good point. So you know, Good point. there's there's always things to to, to to there's a lot of nuance which I like about baseball. Yeah, it, it is a big nuance sport. Great so. Point. I don't, but I don't want to add more stuff to it, right? Like I like the, I like the fact that storylines happen because of the situation we're in. I don't want to go in there and add more storylines, right? Because eventually it, again, it cheapens the game to me. Yeah. Like 14, 14, 14 playoff game, 14 playoff teams is way too much in my opinion. Like I'm trying to think of who else would get in last year. So well, Toronto got been, in through a wild card. So that would cool. have been in. So that would have been dope. <laughs> yeah, that would be good for Oakland, right? The the poor Oakland team that makes no money. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, so, I don't know. I, at some point, you have to draw the line. And the way we're heading, it's like, yo, why don't we just all play a 30-game, 30 30-team 30 tournament? Yeah, who, dude, really you might as that, well, right? like, dude. And then what's yeah. the point of a regular season at that point? Like, that's the thing, like, you've been alluding to. Like, there, what's the point of a regular season if, if half the teams get in? I think that's yeah. the biggest issue. Um I think one thing we do agree on with with the players though is that these teams there should be like at least some kind of salary floor, right? We do yeah. we do agree with that. Like I know as a Yankees fan you you'd love to see the Orioles continue to suck because that's not really man. Look, 17 so, so, easy so I'm, wins. I'm, I'm a Yankee fan, right? But more than that, I'm a baseball fan. I want to see good baseball. Yeah. Right? Like right now I'm the world's angriest Yankee fan cuz the Yankees have been playing terrible baseball as far as what they put on the field for the last since Boone's been there and, and, and maybe even before that, they've played a terrible brand of baseball. Right. And yeah. what I see is a lot of teams copying that. You know, very famously, like Moneyball came out in 2022. And for better or for worse, it changed the way that people thought about the game. It changed the, the way people got jobs in the MLB. It changed what people were going for when they were applying for those jobs. Where right now, if you are any good at math, or if you have a background in data analysis, stuff like that, you're more likely to get a major league job than if you've been coaching baseball at a very high level for the last 20 years. It's just the way it works, right? So, so for better or for worse, that, that's where we're at. Yeah, but Daniel, the problem. Oh, so I go for it. Women lie. Numbers <laughs> never lie, dude. So this Especially is why I disagree. And, and, and as a lawyer, this is my favorite part. It's not the numbers lie. Numbers can tell you a different story based on the perception you have of them. Right. So numbers, True. in my opinion, numbers need context because it's very easy to, to throw out numbers and say, OK, this person's better or this is why this is happening without necessarily breaking down how it happened. And in baseball specifically, what I see people getting in trouble with, right, is all the numbers line up and then what the result that they want doesn't happen. And they like what I don't know why what happened. The numbers, the numbers were there. Right. Like. One of my um, 
one of the books I, I read the last couple of years was Astro Ball. And, you know, Astros won the World Series in 2017. Their big thing was their, their analytic department and how they changed that. They were talking about how, and I forgot the guy's name, but he was like their main scout at that point. He came from like a big, a big tech background and stuff like that. They went out to to scout baseball players in college, right? And they went and they saw this dude. He had unbelievable numbers, unbelievable numbers. Every metric you would want as far as his on base, his, his strike, everything you could calculate on the college level. Because obviously you have some restrictions, right? You don't have the same technology. But yeah. everything you can calculate on the college level, this dude killed it at, right? Just amazing. This dude didn't even last a year in the minors. Who was right? that again? I forgot his name, but you, it, it's in it's in the, it's in the book Astro Ball. An and Astro you, Ball. Yeah, yeah. Or Money Ball. No, Astro Ball. Astro Ball. This was this is about the the 2017 Astro team and how they got there and stuff like that. Was that that first baseman? I don't know. He he didn't make it very far in his career, but the point is that scout was saying how they should draft that guy in front of I think Joe Kelly at that point, which at that you know Joe Kelly was a surefire hall you know first first rounder that that year and it was talking about oh um, you mean mark apple no no no. this guy this is so the guy they drafted he was drafted late he was drafted late so the, the Astros oh, ended up okay. not drafting him he, he's a not notable person um like i i even forgot his name I, but he, he's like not notable he, he had that short of a career but the point was that like the numbers were what they were because of who the who, who he was playing right the production was different in college that could have translated to MLB for sure. So what, so all I'm saying with that is it's like different things happen in MLB ball game, right? Right. A guy can hit a dribbler off his hands during a shift that just lands a little bit past their baseman. That's a double. And now his OPS goes through the roof. A guy yeah. can hit it. And we talked about the shift a little bit today. Yeah. A guy can hit a, a 120 mile per hour line drive to the, you know, the hole between first base, and second base, that's that's the world's loudest out, and now that person is devalued, even though he made so much better contact than the guy who fisted a ball down the third baseline. Yep. You know, you look at the numbers, you're gonna take that guy who who dribbled it down the third baseline every time. Right, right, and right. Now, you might say that it might average out, and I'm sure it does to a certain point, right? I'm not saying that everything is is unique, but I think what we've seen is nuance matters, right? Like, like you know. There's, there's a reason why the Yankees struggle in the postseason. It has nothing to do with their talent. It has to do with their approach, right? right? You, you, give me, you give me that lineup and you change their approach a little bit, you have a different team. You look at a team differently. Even the Dodgers, they have their lineup. They're, the, they're at their best when they're not searching for those, for those big numbers. They're the best when they're just playing baseball. Right. And, you know, we don't see that throughout 162 anymore. But it's because, you know, because of – and this, this ties back to Moneyball – in Moneyball, we saw that we can look for things that we can pull out and buy that for cheap. Right. And then, you know, run away with whatever because we can we can get that kind of production, right? I think the, their, their whole line was, oh, we get Jeremy Giambi, um, David Justice, and some other dude, and I think Scott Hasberg, to produce like Jason Giambi did. Yeah. I mean, it's all about finding value at the end of the day. It is. No, you, you, and you want to find value. And here's the thing. I'm not against money, ball, right? Like I'm not against making your team the best that you can. And if you have to, and if you can't save money on it, you should. Right. Like I think, so that's where the description, the, the discrepancy comes in. Right. Corey Seager just got paid $325 million. Right. How many shortstops are there in the major league that can produce at that level, if not better? 
I mean, the thing is, though, is that Corey Seager's done it at the highest level in the playoffs. Sure, sure. He's shown that he... You know he can perform at, in the bright lights, and I, I think that's the mm-hmm. biggest difference, dude. Is we see a lot of these guys in the regular season, they're great, dude. But then when mm-hmm. like push comes to shove in the in the in the postseason, when the lights are bright and they shrink up, when when pitchers aren't throwing balls, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. When they're every pitch matters in the postseason, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and that's it's Look, a little bit you're different. Right. You're absolutely right on that. And I think that's the biggest difference is because like a team like the A's. Like they they continuously let dudes walk or they trade them away before they're eligible for their unrestricted free agency to get unknown commodities and you recycle and then the fan base like at the same time is like okay like you know we got Ryan Sweeney out here and we got who who the fuck knows today yeah. it's just different it's it's hard to build and establish a fan base to young young kids dude who have to continuously buy new jerseys because they don't right their favorite player leaves their favorite team and it's it's just a bad look on on major league baseball all around we have too many of those teams if we had one or two or three okay that's cool but we got the pirates the a's the rays too like we could throw them out there i know they've been good the last couple years but they're in the same position the orioles just too many dude and like at some point they gotta fix it you know, I think the bigger problem is that right now, and this happens with, in the NFL a lot, where they cycle through how much they're willing to invest on a team based on if they feel they have a quarterback or not, right? right. So it's all about like, the oh, is your quarterback good for the next five years? That kind of thing that you're looking for. Baseball doesn't have that, but baseball acts like it does, right? So I know, for instance, and I lived this, through this in, like recently with the, Yankees, with the Yankees when they had, you know, Judge, Severino, Gary, all these guys come up at the same time and the thinking was, oh, this is awesome. This is our core for, for the next, you know, whatever years we can spend money on, on, on something. And the Yankees always spend money, so it doesn't matter. Right. But you mentioned a team like the A's. It always feels like they're waiting for one guy to just be the next Mike Trout or, or be the next Ricky Henderson, right? Well, that's that's there, difficult when, to find, dude. That's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, when we have this guy, that we can that we can afford to pay, then we'll build around them and try to win. And teams do that, and it doesn't always work out, right? Like it, you know, the Astros got lucky, but the Astros also had like ten, like top five picks well, for I think, the last ten. Years. I think the biggest issue, and that's a great point that you bring up the Astros, is because the same philosophy was applied to the Royals. Yeah, you know, and then yeah. when you see the Royals do it and the Astros, it's like okay, that's a winning formula. Yeah. Like, we need to get young guys, and they're going to grow up in the system together. They're going to learn how to win together, so they win at the mm-hmm. minor league level. Like, uh, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, they all, they both, they won together in AAA. They won their AAA, um, the PCL, and then they go, go up in the major league. So, like, that's what they're, that's what these teams are trying to do. But it's like, you still need to add things to that. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Like, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the last, like, so since the 1990s was that Yankees dynasty, right? From 96 to 2000 or whatever it was. People always said, oh, yo, they bought those championships, right? They brought over Roger Clemens. They brought over David Wells. They brought over, you know, all these other pieces, right? An older, an, an older they Don Matting. I mean, older, like Wade Boggs and stuff like that. And while that is true, Look at the core pieces there. All those, all those guys came up from the Yankee system. Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill. Well, Paul Neal came from Cincinnati, but yeah, but but Williams, Posada, 
Jeter, Mariano, Andy Pettit, those five guys, like they were the core of that team, right? And yeah. everyone else around them, they weren't really at their prime. Paul O'Neill was at his prime. Tino Martinez was at his prime, but he was undervalued because he was coming from Seattle, right? So they put those pieces around them, but they had those pieces. Yeah. You know what I mean, so like Great that's point. the misconception of like, oh, Yankees just paid for those championships. But Yankees Actually, when do they just pay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm when the Yankees joking. started paying the money though, like right when they when they went after Jason Giambi, when they went after Mike Messina, they stopped. Those winning. teams sucked. Yeah, those yeah. teams sucked. That's why I always yeah. say, like, dude, I don't think baseball. I, like, I I am all for not having a salary cap in any sport, dude, because I I believe fair market value should be attributed. Like, in yeah. the NBA, at one point, Mike Conley was making more money than LeBron James. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In no other universe does that ever happen. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that hinders a team you know that hindered the grizzlies at the time so i i think that f- fair market value is is real and like if the yankees want to go out and spend 400 million cool let them go up and spend 400 yeah, million because yeah. last time they did it, it didn't work exactly no exactly and, and look i agree with you 100 my thing is w- with that like with the salary cap is you we have to remember baseball is a very different sport just because you are winning with guys that aren't even going to be on that final roster right like your minor league players they're going to they're going to contribute at some point. You know, we, we mentioned the Dodgers and how good they are. Yep. People don't understand like unless you're in baseball, you don't understand how much they invest in those minor leaguers. Like you can make fun of the Dodgers, you can hate the Dodgers, but nobody invests in their minor leaguers and into their system More like the that. Dodgers do. That's why when their guys get to the major league level, they're not playing catch up. They're just doing exactly what they did in the minor league in the minor leagues and just continue with that, right? Like um what's the dude from uh Jeter Downs? who got traded from, from Boston. I mean, got traded from the Dodgers to Boston. He, he struggled last year. Yep. He struggled in his last year with Boston. And I, I came out and I said, look, this, this dude doesn't have that kind of talent to supersede that. Right. But you know what happens though, when you have so much information that you have to literally just not do anything to fail, it's easy to look good. Right. So like whenever you're trading, like whenever teams are trading for, for, for Dodger prospects, I'm always like, I'm not saying they're not talented. I'm just saying their numbers are way more inflated than if they played another minor Shit. league system. The A's so traded for that protect- kid, Gerald Cotton, and that dude's, <laughs> I don't even think he's in the league anymore. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God, dude. I was so stoked on that, too. I was like, oh. And then his first game with the A's in the minor leagues, he threw a no-hitter, and then, dude, <laughs> done after that, bro. Yeah. There's so many stories of, like, what could have been with 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 – minor leaguers who like put up great numbers and they come to major leagues. It's like, it's not there I, for me. Like the biggest thing is like Manaya never became what I thought he was going to become. And obviously he still has time, but like, he's been my biggest disappointment from, from like watching the A's AJ, AJ puck, man. He's another guy who I thought was going to come in and absolutely just throw hammers. Jesus Lazardo, another. So I don't know, man, it, it, it's hard. Like, and I know this is like an A's talk conversation, but. Well, I mean, the A's develop pitchers very well, dude. Like they do. They get um, who was that? Who was that dude they got last year? Um, oh my god! Saw Frankie, the lefty, the lefty, the lefty. Oh my god! They like traded for him for cash considerations from the fucking Phillies, dude. What the? Why is his name just going beyond me? He was the A's fifth starter last year, but he was he was decent pretty much the whole mm-hmm. year. Like he held his own. You know what I mean? Like he had a around like three seven five like four one five which ERA. is for for a fifth spot starter that's perfect yeah and it's like the a's always seem to find those kind of guys pitching isn't the isn't the issue it's it's really no, it's with hitters with them dude is like 
they they find guys like Josh Donaldson and then they trade him <laughs> and then he wins yeah. an MVP. You know what I mean? And then uh, Carlos Gonzalez, dude, they got got him Marco, yeah. and then traded him away for uh, what's his face, the fucking big headed dude from Colorado. Oh my, Matt Melade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yo, so 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 like, I'm glad you bring up Col- Car- Cargo because I think he's the best example of what major leaguers are trying to fight for today. You can't tell me that even after Cargo struggled, because he did struggle, right? After, after you know, he was an all-star for consecutive years. Yep. Then he came back and he just hit a wall. You can't tell me that he can't be as productive as some of the guys that we have out there in today's game who are purposely getting underpaid. Yeah. Right? Like I like, think the one thing with Cargo, though, is like what made him special was his athleticism, his speed. Yeah. Like, he was a five-tool guy, and then once he, like, kind of lost a lot of that, because he was hurt a lot. He, you know yeah, I mean? he lost he lost a few steps, and really quickly. And then once you lose that, at, at that as that kind of player, and then especially, you know, hitting in course field is, like, your numbers are inflated already. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw it with Nolan Arenado this year. The yeah. power number's way down. So it's, like, it is a little tough. But I, I agree with you, dude. He could still be – he could probably still be a productive major league player for sure. And the problem, the problem, the reason why he's not, not is because he won't settle for a smaller contract yep. than, than, than what that would be. And he shouldn't settle for him. this dude. This dude still puts butts in seats. Right. And I think that's that's another point that, that the MLB owners are missing out on. Yeah. If you have if you invest in your team, you're going to have fans in invest in your team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned the age problem, man. Like, like it's true. Like what jersey can you buy for the A's that you expect to be there? Matt Olson is being talked about being traded. Matt Chapman's probably not too far behind if he gets traded, right? Yeah. So now what? What do you buy? Sean Murphy, right? And hope that he sticks around for five years. Probably your Chris Bassett. Yeah, and yeah. Bassett's and like, like, like he could be traded too, dude. Like you don't. That's uh, what I'm saying. Knows. That's what I'm saying. Like and and like I'm not saying that there's like an easy solution to it. Yeah, I'm, there's not. My thing is, I just think the because the owners are such business minded as they are, and and they're kind of. These guys are like profit first, like above anything kind of minded, right. which is fine. You're running a business, but you have to think long-term. And I think these guys don't necessarily do think long-term or if they do do think long-term to try to take advantage of so much of it that they're kind of losing how profitable they ultimately can be. Right. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like I, you, you tell me, you tell me um, Matt Olson is going to be on the A's for the next 10 years. You tell me he's going to retire in A. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Like, like right, like, like you just have to be. Yeah. You, you see him get better every year. He's a guy that deserves to be there. He's he's done nothing that makes and, me think he shouldn't be there. And Daniel, that that goes beyond just like these ten years. It goes generations, you know. Because mm-hmm. as an Ace fan, it's like really, as an Ace fan, who who do I hang on to? Is Ricky Henderson? Like he's Mister yeah. Oakland A. You know what I mean? And it's like you can push that as a team for for centuries. It's like now in the last twenty years. Who do the A's talk about? Like, who is there? Who is that Ricky Henderson? They Barry, talk about the 04 season pretty much. Yeah. And that's about Barry it, yeah. Zito, Tim Hudson. Like, those dudes. I mean, Barry Zito won a World Series with the Giants. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, it's like, it's, it's just a bad look for those those kind of teams. And and as a Yankees fan, you know this. Like, the Yankees have, like, a gazillion dudes that you could yeah. fucking talk about forever. Running running out of jersey space out there. Yeah. Like, like literally, literally running out of like retired numbers. And that's how you know, that's what every team should look to do though. That's how they should yeah. run their franchise. Yeah, and, and I think like the reason the Yankees struggle is because they got away from that too. Like 
the, the team that pisses me off the most in, in this situation is, is the Rays. Is the what? The money ball. <laughs> no, look, look, money ball is what it is. It created a lot of opportunities in the game that wouldn't be there without it. So, True. you know, it, it changed the game for a lot, for the better in a lot of aspects. Um, and, I th- and I still think that money ball has to be played with some of the traditional aspects of baseball to really be successful. Um, but what, what I always say the team that pisses me off the most is the Rays because they kind of get off easy as this team of like, oh, the poor Rays, they don't have any money. Fans don't go. The, the people who own the Rays make millions of dollars a year off the Rays. Like we can't sit here and think like they don't, right? Like the whole thing about, oh, we'll split time in Canada and, and time in. Dude, in, that is you don't, yo, you don't do that unless you have money. Like, I'm sorry, what, Dude. we have two home stadiums? <laughs> like, like what? Like, so every every team, whether you're the Pirates, who I think had the worst home, I think they had the home, the worst home attendance last year was, I think it was the Pirates. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, dude. They like stripped that team down, dude. Yeah, I don't, yo, I can't, what, what Brian Reynolds is, is a Pirate? Yeah, Brian Hayes? I don't even know who they have throwing anymore. I have the people I want to name already on the Yankees. Polanco so, is like the – or Gregory Polanco, right? That's like the only dude I can name on that team, dude. That's yeah. It. He's the only one that's – I think he's the only one that's been there more than five years, if, if we're going to like count it that way. It's crazy. But, but that team is profitable, right? Like that owner made a shit ton of money. And you can call it because it's the revenue share or whatever it is. But the point is when that owner puts his head on, on the pillow at night to, to go to sleep – Sleeping. That that man's making money sleeping. Yeah. Like with everything. Everything that MLB owners do makes money. If if you tell me, yo, just if you let me just sell my beer at the stadium at 30 bucks a cup, like a lot, like some stadiums might do eventually. I'll be profitable, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's nuts. Dude, it's crazy. Uh before we get out of here though, do you think that we get even a remotely like half a season this year at this point like what's your honest opinion like your heart out of it objectively put your lawyer hat on right now like where are we so from, from a legal standpoint like what i what i know is that money talks right so as much as we want to talk about the players wanting to really set this set something in stone for the next generation as much as we want to say the owners you know want to really stick to their guns at the end of the day, an owner bringing home, let's say, $20 million is better than them bringing home nothing right. for this year, right? Um, for baseball, for, for the players, right? If you're telling me I'm going to make half of my $10 million salary, that's better than bringing zero. So what I think is eventually something something does happen where where the sides are going to be like, you know what? We've lost too much, too many games already. Now we're losing millions of dollars. On, on a daily, on a weekly basis, let's let's come up with something for the rest of this year. Because it's not only oh. the owners, though, too. Like, I mean, you're talking communities that are losing yeah. money, dude. And, like, some of these communities, too, like, people go to in the summer and, like, plan mm. vacations to go see these teams. Um, you know, especially, yeah. like, the Yankees, for example. Like, people travel to New York to go see Yankee Stadium. People travel yeah. to Boston to go see Fenway Park. People travel to Chicago to go see Wrigley Field. I'm not saying yeah. that that's the only reason why they go, but it's like a, a center of their vacation. You know what I mean? And like, it, I, I feel really bad for like the team, like the Royals where the Royals are middle of kind of nowhere. Right. But they have a solid disrespectful base. to Kansas city, bro. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> they got great barbecue by the way. They do. No, they do. Trust me, man. I love the food, but the, but the truth is like their fan base is strong. They, they want to show up. That's what they do. 
right? Like, like let's be honest. Like, that's what you do out there. It's Kansas City Royal Baseball. And then you have a shit ton of minor league teams out there. And, and that's what you spend your summer doing. Yep. Right? Same thing with St. Louis. Like, yes. what goes on in the summer of St. Louis? They don't even have a basketball team. So, it's really, like, fall off. listen on. to Nelly. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you have country grammar playing all, all summer long. But, you know, but the truth is, though, like, those those things do affect the community, man. Like, for, for all the all the hoopla about baseball losing its popularity and stuff like that, stadiums still make money, right? Fans still want to go to the games. Baseball is a really regional sport still yep. where if you're close to a stadium and you can afford to go, you're going to go. Like, I, I'm lucky enough where I live really close to Angel Stadium out here and, and Dodger Stadium. And whenever I go to any of those games, people are in the stands. Right, like, yep. and the Angels are garbage, and people are still in the stands. Yeah, people right? always go to Angel Stadium for sure. Yeah, so like we're losing out on we're losing out on a lot. So if if I was if I was at the negotiating table, and you tell me that this year is not important, like I don't care about this year. It's really about the long term goal. We're not having a season this year, straight up. We're not having a season this year. But if you're telling me, hey, look, it's important to me to have something this year. It's important for me to have to, for us to have some games this year. Then this does get resolved. I just don't know where they're at at that point. Because do you think that like the the players that don't make millions of dollars, like once those paychecks stop rolling in, do you think at some point they're like, all right, we gotta play. Like I need to get paid. I got bills to pay. Such rough, man. So the way it works, and and I, I was lucky enough growing up, I caught a lot of minor leaguers. I, I was a catcher, and I had the opportunity to catch a lot of minor league baseball players. The way it works is whenever they're not in season, usually their agencies pick up for them, right? So if you're, Scott, if you're Scott Boer's client, they'll put you up for the summer. Obviously, they're just taking that out of your contract when you get paid by, by the team at that point. So, you know, I had I had guys from DR. They were signed with Boris. And what they do is they come out here, whatever they spend on, the agency pays for them, right? That way they don't have to have jobs and stuff like that in the off season and they keep training, training, they stay, they stay afloat, especially if they're rehabbing or something like that. The agency kind of picks all of that up with the expectation that as they get paid, the agency will get paid their expenses. Interesting. Right? So I never I, knew that dude. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of, it's kind of fun, man. It's trust me, like being a minor league play, baseball player, if, if you have an agency behind you, so if you were drafted mostly, right. Or if you're a high level talent from, from, from in my in my experience from the Dominican Republic, right? Like you had people taking care of you because you're an investment. So Good I don't point. think it will get to that point, right? I don't think it will get to that point where guys are so hard up for money that they'll be like, whatever, let's let's you know, let's just play. Yeah, but how many you know of we, those guys like are there really? You know what I mean? Because we're talking a small man, percentage, dude. You you you'll be surprised, right? So I, I had this I had this one guy who never made the major leagues. He got, he got injured. His name was Kelvin De La Cruz. He, he, he was a pitcher on the Indians. And he was a Scott Boris guy. He was a lefty through 97. So they were like, yo, this guy's going to make it, right? Like, so let's invest in him. So he was in a situation where he was it's like chilling. that movie, The Scout, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, like, that guy was chilling, right? Like, he was, he was good. He had a big signing bonus to begin with, so he was, he was cool. Then there's another guy I had who he was signed out of a Dominican Academy. And his signing bonus was something like 200 G's. Right. His agency wasn't big enough to pay him stuff like that. So in the off season, what he did is he came back home to, to, he was from my town. 
he came home from the, my town and he was living with his parents. Right. And stuff like that. Like he was, you know, he had money in the bank and stuff like that, but he didn't have the kind of money that he just chill for, for like a summer without doing anything either. Right. So right, right. like it does affect guys differently um, because the major league players seem to really want to have the minor league players back in the situation. That might be what prolongs it. But again, like how long will that stand for? Right. Like I know, right. you know, Max Scherzer can, can spend the whole season and not do anything. But if you get to a guy like I'm trying to think of a, a very low level player right now who hasn't gotten paid. Like let me go Rojas, right? Miguel Rojas gets paid three million a year, which is a lot of money still, right? But if you're saying he's gonna miss out on three million, that is a lot of money in the long term that he's gonna be missing out on, right? Because that's money that he can't really reinvest. That's money that he can't really do much, and he misses out on. So right. it, it does depend on on where you're at in the spectrum. It's crazy. It's gonna be interesting couple of weeks, dude. I think if we're gonna get a season, it's gonna it's gonna be negotiating a couple of weeks. I think if we get out of March. I think it's a wrap for the year, dude, for your real. I, I think – so, honestly, like, if we have a season, something will happen within the next 15 days. I agree. 100% I say March, March 15th deadline is really when I'd say, okay, we this is there's an opening here to have a significant amount of games. I don't know if we do something like a 60-game season again because no. we don't want to set that as a standard. Nope. Right? We did that for one year already. And as, as kooky and as fun as that might have been, I don't think anyone wants to do that for two and two two times in the last three years. Yep. Like that's just not the way you want to roll. So like, it'll be interesting, man. I agree. I, I I'm I'm a hundred percent in greens with you. I think the next two <laughs> weeks are very, very telling for this situation. And I hope we get a season. If we don't, so be it. It is what it is. Like the players gotta do what's best for them, man. But Daniel, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, yeah, no make, problem, man. How did you yeah, man, this was fun, dude. Make sure to go follow him at D underscore Lopez MBE on Twitter. You can catch him on the Diamond Talk podcast on the SSAW network. If you're following along with us, you're probably watching this in SSAW, by the way. So you probably already heard him on his podcast. But my man does a great work in baseball, dude. Literally one of the most knowledgeable baseball dudes I know. So thank you, brother, for joining I appreciate joining that, me. man. I appreciate that. Nah, for real, dude. You, you know your shit, dude. And... And the fact that we agree means you know your shit, you know. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. All right, y'all. We will catch y'all later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's NFL season, and that means it's time to gamble on football. Don't worry about spending endless nights researching games. We've got you covered. I'm Big Ball and Ben Larson. And I'm Jordan Stacks on Stacks on Stacks, lads. And I'm Steady, Eddie Martin. And we are the APR Podcast. Join us every Thursday morning as we dive in and handicap every game of the upcoming week. Impress your friends and family with your newfound knowledge of NFL football. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you all there. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In The Game podcast. I'm being joined now by a special guest, a college basketball writer. And as we head into March Madness, this is the perfect time. And especially with the biggest conference, arguably in college basketball, the Big East. I'm joined by Patrick Madden. You can follow him at Twitter at the sports JD uh, and catch his blog, the big, big East blog. So I'm happy to have you here, man. How you doing tonight? Hey, Jordan, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Excited to have you here because most importantly, March Madness is here. And, you know, this is when the casual college basketball fans really start to tune in 
to what's really happening in college basketball. And, you know, for guys like myself and, and you, this has been a phenomenal college basketball season, like from a lot of conferences. It's been some great college basketball played this year. Absolutely. Again, it's been good to have fans back. I mean, we all had to watch from TV basically last year, but this year we've been able to get back into the arenas and we've had some full houses and it's been very exciting given what we missed last season and of course missing the tournament two years ago. Yes, sir. So let's jump right into it. So, I mean, obviously you, you write about the Big East, so we're going to really focus in on the Big East here. Um, you know, the first question I do want to ask, and I, I already assumed the answer, but what what's the biggest surprise team of the Big East this year? Is it Providence? Uh, Providence winning the regular season is definitely the biggest surprise. It's probably the thing that would have been the hardest to predict. I had them picked eighth when the season started. Uh, and it's just a matter of they win close games. They're a veteran team. They seem to have a different player who steps up every night for them uh, so, so that they've gone on this winning run. Uh, Ed Cooley is a candidate for Coach of the Year, and he definitely deserves it. Uh, given what the expectations were. I'd also take a look at Marquette. Uh, Shaka Smart started there. He left from Texas to go to Marquette uh, after last season. And, and they're having a very good season that not a lot of people expected because they had to turn over a lot of their roster. Yep. And they've got a lot of young players on their team. So those would be probably the two biggest surprising teams in the Big East as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Marquette playing seven freshmen in their rotation which is pretty incredible uh to see what shock smart done. but they kind of have hit a wall a little bit because they were on they were on fire they were rolling in january kind of hit a little bit of a wall here um losing to butler at butler butler's like the second worst team in the big east but um you know question i really wanted to ask you is you you spoke on experience and coming into the season i thought seton hall was going to be, you know, neck and neck with Villanova this year, probably as the two best Big East teams. I was a little shocked at Seton Hall, uh, you know, their kind of inconsistency throughout the year. Would you say that's a fair assessment? You have to look at the fact that Bryce Aiken, yes, Aiken uh, did go who down. was the, the, graduate, the graduate player who played at Harvard, uh, he was injured in a game against Marquette on January the 15th and he suffered a concussion, and there's a possibility he might not come back the rest of the season. And mm. he was averaging 16 points a game. Uh, he had taken over a lot of games, like the games against Texas, the game against Rutgers, and a couple of the other games earlier in the season. So from that perspective, uh, you know, they've missed one of their better scores, and they sort of had to figure out how to play without them, without him. So that's why Seton Hall is not performing quite at the level that a lot of people are expecting. But I will say, if you told me at the beginning of the season that they were going to be practically locked for the NCAA tournament with a week to go into the season, I probably would have signed up for that, uh, given that they were predicted fifth or sixth in the Big East. And a lot of people thought, you know, they might get five or six teams into the tournament when the season started. See, that, that's crazy. I mean, Roden's been very nice, 6'6 six, six forward. Um, I mean, he 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 has an NBA future, I think, maybe, of, of all the players on their team, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that's that's shocking to me that, that you, you're surprised that they have an NCAA chance. 
Well, I said that they, if you, I would have signed up for it at the beginning of the season. Uh, now, I will say that if Roden's got a weakness that will keep him from going to the NBA, it's that his three-point shooting is not as consistent it as you might like it to be. Yeah. He shot about 30, 31% from his career, and he'd have to work with shooting on a three-point line, which is about a foot or a foot and a half back from what it is on the college level. Now, when he leaves Seton Hall, whether it's this season or next season, because he's got the COVID year next year, if he wants, uh, certainly uh, maybe a G League team or somebody will give him an opportunity to focus upon that three-point shooting because he's got all the other skills. Right. He can rebound. He can play some defense. Great defender. He can slash at, he can slash at the basket. So he's got a skill set that looks like, and he's got an NBA-looking body. So in all those senses, he's got a lot of the tools you would like to have in an NBA player. But the way the game is played in the NBA, his three-point shooting has to get a lot more consistent uh, for him to get to the league and stick there for a while. Fair point. All right, so on the flip side, who's been the most disappointing team of the Big East this year? I'd probably say St. John's. Uh, St. John's has had, going into the season, two of the better players in the league. You had Julian Champagny, whose brother Justin, I think, is playing. Either he's playing in Toronto or he's playing for their G League team. Uh, they're twin brothers. Uh, Justin left Pittsburgh last season. Julian was in the draft process, but decided to go back to St. John's. He's had some inconsistency this season. Uh, he got COVID right before Christmas, and that sort of backed him up for a couple of weeks. He's had a couple of games when he's gone off for 30, like, Sunday, he went off, I think, was for 26 or 28 against DePaul when they lost. So he's had some games where he's shown his ability. But then there are other games where he scored eight points, five points. So he's been up and down, and St. John's has been up and down with him. Posh Alexander has suffered through some injuries this season. Uh, so because he's been hurt, it's affected their defense. Uh, and there were times when Alexander would take over games, stealing the ball, getting in the faces of the of opposing point guards. But this season, they've sort of figured him out a little bit. And because he's had uh, a couple of leg injuries, he's been slowed down this season. And that might explain why St. John's, uh, a team a lot of people thought was a lot for the NCAA tournament when the season started, is going to need to win the Big East tournament in order to uh, get to the NCAAs. Do they have a shot at winning the Big East tournament? Uh. They're slated right now to be finished, I think, in eighth place, which puts them uh, in the 8-9 game, which would put them in the top end of the bracket. Uh, they'd probably play Butler uh, next Wednesday night, and the winner of that game gets to play Providence. Now, on paper, St. John's matches up very well with Providence, uh, and they gave Providence two pretty good games during this season. Uh, they were, I think they were tied with six minutes to go up in Providence, and they were tied with four minutes to go when they played it against St. John's. But Providence, with their senior experience, was able to find a way to win both of those games. So if St. John's is on, they could beat a team like Providence, get to the semifinals, and then take their chances wherever they got. They did give Villanova two pretty good games during the season. So if they happen to, let's say, get to a final against Villanova, uh, they have proven that they can play with Villanova this season. So I don't give them a really great shot at doing it, but they do have the talent. 
if they can sort of figure it out like Georgetown did last season. Right. Uh, going into the Big East tournament, Georgetown had no business winning the Big East tournament, but they got hot at the right time, ran off four wins in a row, and they made the NCAA tournament. And this St. John's team has more talent than that Georgetown team had last season. So that's why conference tournaments are so great because you never know. You Sometimes you just have to expect the unexpected. Yeah. And, you know, some St. John's has the roster to think that they have, let's, they have sort of a dark horse chance of winning the Big East tournament and making the NCAAs. Awesome. Uh, next thing I want to ask you is Xavier. What is going on with Xavier two years in a row collapsing at the end of the season? And at what point does this cost Travis steal his job? It's actually three seasons in a row because in 2020, before uh, the NCAA tournament was canceled, they were in a similar position that they were in last year and sort of a similar position they were in this year because a lot of people thought that they were a lot to make the tournament in the middle of February in both of those years. And I think if the 2020 tournament had been held, there was a good shot they were going to be kept out just like they did last year. I think they're in a more they're, – they're probably safer this season than they were those last two years because, you know, right now they're on the eight line in terms of a lot of people's uh, bracketology. Uh, and I think if they beat Georgetown, if they either beat St. John's tomorrow night or they beat Georgetown on Saturday, they're probably going to get into the tournament regardless of what happens in the Big East tournament. And I think that saves Travis Steele because then he can go to his athletic director and say, hey, I was, I was better in 2022 than I was in 2021. And he's got a pretty good recruiting class coming in for next season to make up for losing Paul Scruggs uh, and a couple of the other key players that he's missing this, that he, that he's going to be losing this season. They're also getting Nate Johnson, one of the, one of the best three point shooters in the country back tomorrow night against St. John's. And part of the reason they've been in a little bit of a slump lately is because Johnson's missed the last four games. So if Johnson comes back and Johnson gets back to his hot three point shooting ways, Xavier's going to be a lot better team than we've seen the last couple of weeks. Do you think they have to win or make a run in the Big East tournament to get in? Because, I mean, they're 7-10 in conference play. You really think that they're they're like a shoe-in for the tournament? I would think that if they win one more game and they don't get a – let's say they don't get a bad loss next week in the first game of the Big East tournament because you got to look at some of their non-conference wins. They beat Ohio State. They beat Oklahoma State on the road. They beat Virginia Tech. Uh, in New York on a neutral site. So Xavier's got a very good non-conference record uh, that they can work with. Uh, and then they beat Marquette. I, they beat Creighton on the road. That was a good win. Uh, they they beat Marquette at home. Uh, they beat Connecticut at home. So they've got a pretty good resume. They've got a lot of quad, what they call the quad one wins to work yeah. with. Yeah. So in that sense, Xavier's got a resume that's better than a lot of the teams that are on the bubble right now. The problem is that if they lose to Georgetown on Saturday, that's a really bad loss. And if they lose in the first round of the Big East tournament, that's a second bad loss on top of that. And that's when they'll be sweating uh, when the committee starts putting, putting the seeds in and putting the bracket together next week. So I wanted to talk about Georgetown, and that was a great segue leading into that. Georgetown 0-17, zero Big East victories this year, and they extend Patrick Ewing. 
what are they doing? What is their plan? Uh, were you talking about whether Ewing should stay or not? I mean, on paper, they have no business keeping Ewing around. It's just that things are so complicated there. First of all, you know, he is one of John Thompson's guys. And he's one of and, the greatest players. He's one of the greatest Hoyers of all time. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look at, if you go back a few years, though, Chris Mullen was the best player who ever played at St. John's. And after he had a, a few bad seasons, they had no, they had, they did not hesitate to throw Mullen out at St. John's. Yeah. It's a little bit more complicated with you. because as you said, you know, he, he is sort of the guy in terms of Georgetown basketball. He played for John Thompson and his presence is still, even though he's deceased, his presence is still lurking around that building. And one of the things that worries me about Georgetown is how serious are they taking basketball right now? Uh, they like to talk about how great their soccer team is. They talk about how great their lacrosse team is. So it's sort of like, you know what, if we're not so great at basketball, we had a good run for about 30 years. So we can have a couple more bad years. And then the weird thing is they gave Ewing a contract extension last season. So they're going to owe Ewing, even though, you know, you think, hey, Patrick Ewing has a lot of money because he was a Hall of Famer. They still owe him, I think, six or seven million dollars if they let him go. And I don't, you know, Georgetown's the type of place where are we going to just buy out a coach so we can bring a new coach in? So it's it's a little bit of a complicated system. I mean, the easy thing to do is say, you know what? This guy's we've given this guy five seasons, even though he won the Big East last year, he's really not cutting it. And we got to just get the program off to a new start, because I think the longer they keeping him around, the longer they're prolonging the agony at Georgetown. Right. I mean, that's that's the wild thing to me is because Georgetown, when I think of college basketball and like, you know, I was born in the 80s. I grew up in, you know, I was a teenager in the late 90s, early 2000s and when I think of Georgetown, I think Allen Iverson. I think just greatness from Georgetown. I mean, Georgetown was – it was Georgetown and UNC. That's who everybody loved when I was growing up. And the fact that, like, they're just such a terrible team in the Big East now is just mind-blowing to me. And and you're right. Like, they don't even care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, we're not good right now. That's all right with us. Like, and that's – it's just mind-blowing to me. Do you think that – um I mean, I think Ewing could easily turn it around because of who he is. Do you think that that's a possibility? And, and do they honestly really trust Patrick Ewing? I I think that, again, I think it's a combination of he is Patrick Ewing. He does have the ability to recruit. I mean, he gets four-star guys. The one guy, the freshman, he's got a meaning Muhammad. Uh, was on a lot of draft boards going into this season. And, you know, part of what you think about with a guy like Muhammad, who's one of the best freshmen in the league, is how much is he going to tolerate being on a team that's going to be so bad? Right. Um, Good point. Because it, are they going to be bad next year? Are they going to be bad in two years? And do I just, you know, go to the G League? Do I go to another school? I mean, you know, that's that's part of the problem that Ewing's had. You look at, to, to switch off to, to Baylor for a second, their point guard right now is James Akinjo. Yep, from Akinjo Oakland, California. Started at Georgetown. So you think about guys like that. Mac McClung was there a couple of years ago, and he transferred to Texas Tech. So one of the issues is that Ewing can get talented players, but for some reason he he's not able to keep them around. And you got to keep an eye on a guy like Muhammad because Muhammad is the type of guy you can build upon 
and get your program to a better place in two or three years. But if he's basically saying, I don't have the patience to hang around that long, you know, what does that tell you about you? Ewing can get the good talent, but the talent doesn't stay there for more than one or two years. Fair point. Well, let's talk about talent in the Big East. Who are your top three Big East players of the year this year? Who's going to win it? And then who is your runner-up and your second runner-up? I think Colin Gillespie has a pretty firm hold on player of the year. Now that's, you know, not making a lot of people excited about it because he's been at Villanova forever. But if you look like at 10 years, it seems a, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a super senior as they call him. Uh, he had 33 points in that big win against Providence two weeks ago. Uh, he's just, he's the one guy who has kept Villanova in the top 10 uh, most of the season. Uh, two other guys that I would keep an eye on is Justin Lewis, uh, the, the forward at Marquette, who Freshman. put up some really good games when Marquette was on a roll in the middle of the season. Uh, and then if you're asking me to look at a third guy uh, besides Champagny, I would look at Javon Freeman Liberty of DePaul. Unfortunately, Freeman Liberty missed two or three weeks of the season because he got a thigh injury. Uh, from the middle of January to the beginning of February. But he's put up some phenomenal games this season. He had 39 points on Sunday when they beat St. John's. He had 34 points in a loss they had to Villanova earlier in the season. So if you want to talk about, let's say, the three players who have played the best in the Big East this season, I'd go with Gillespie, Lewis, and then Freeman Liberty. No R.J. Cole? You know, that's funny. I've seen a lot of uh, people talk about how good R.J. Cole has done this season. And, you know, you got to give him credit that he's carried Connecticut in a lot of their big victories this season, especially he had a couple of big plays last week uh, when they scored that big win up in Hartford against Villanova. Uh, I just don't know if Cole has been as consistent as the three guys I mentioned earlier in the season. I mean, I'm putting together uh, later this week my all Big East team, and I've got Gillespie and Lewis pretty much locked into that. And then I got about seven or eight guys, and we've talked about a few of them. We've talked about Roden. We talked about Champagny. We've talked about Cole. We've talked about Freeman Liberty, who I got to put in the last three places there. And it's not going to be an easy task when I sit down and I put that, when I try to type that in uh, later this week. That's a, t- that's a very tough task. All right, Patrick, let's, let's hop into the NCAA tournament real quick. Who are, aside from Villanova, because we know that with Jay Wright being there, the history that he has of making deep tournament runs, obviously the experience, Colin Gillespie's won a national title before. Aside from Villanova, give me some Big East teams that can make some noise in the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, Providence is interesting. Uh, They're probably going to get a three or four seed, uh, depending on, you know, how much the committee values the fact that they have such a good record. Uh, then you look at their, you look at what they are on Ken Palm. They've been hanging around the 40 mark, which doesn't usually signal that they're going to make a deep run in the tournament. Uh, we talked about Marquette earlier and the fact that Marquette's not playing their best basketball right now. And then we'll get over to Connecticut. Connecticut has played some of their best basketball in the last three or four weeks. If guys like Cole, Adamo Sinogo, the big guy who I think is going to end up being an NBA prospect maybe in a year or two. Uh, Tyrese Martin, who is, you know, basically Danny Hurley's right-hand guy on the court. If those guys play the way they've played lately, 
Connecticut's going to be a very hard team to beat in the tournament. They could be a four or five seed, but they're going to be dangerous. And they're the type of team who, if they play their best ball, is going to be hard for a one or a two seed to knock off as you get into sort of like the second weekend in the NCAAs. It's just a matter of Connecticut getting to that second weekend. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. Um, yeah, have you watched any aside from Big East and East Coast? Because I know being in on the East Coast, it's a little tough to catch West Coast games because it's like one in the morning out there. Have you watched any Pac-12, Mountain West, Big West? Saw some ups. I've I've seen I've seen some Colorado State. I love David Roddy. David Roddy's nice. I think he's. I, I heard somebody say today he's the type of guy who, if you're one seed in the tournament, you don't want to see Colorado State as the eight seed because that guy he blew Creighton up uh, at a tournament uh, over thanks right before Thanksgiving for thirty six points. And I saw him have a big game against Wyoming a couple of weeks ago in a game I think they lost in overtime. Wyoming's a pretty good team. They could be sneaky good, sort of like as an eight or nine seed. Uh, they're the type of team, again, that just plays well together and they play tough. Obviously, Arizona is, you know, in contention for one seed. Uh, you know, do they have what it takes to make it to a final four? I mean, when you're a one seed, the committee certainly thinks you have what it takes to get to a final four. Uh, can they get what they need from guys like Mathurin and Krissa? and Coloco in a tournament to get those those spots a sleeper team a lot of people are sort of not keep not watching very closely is usc you're not big on southern california no i'm a a trojan dude fight on baby southern cal i i think southern california is a team that's going to be in that five or six seed range but they have they have some big guys uh, and they have Andy Enfield, who uh, has won some big NCAA tournament games in the past. Uh, they made a pretty good run in the tournament last year. I think they made the Sweet 16. Well, they made so the Elite 8. They made the Elite 8. The biggest issue, though, is that they don't have Evan Mobley this year. <laughs> right. Know? Is Boogie Ellis going to be back for the tournament? Yeah, Boogie Ellis is back. He played last game against Oregon, in, in which they won, but, you know, as someone that watches a ton of Trojan basketball, especially I watch a lot of West Coast basketball, um, but one the thing where USC has really turned a the corner, they've won six in a row, and they've really been turning it up because Drew Peterson has really been initiating the offense. You know, he's a six six guard wing, um, and with the ball in his hands, like he's he's a high IQ player, and like it's just looked like a totally different offense because before it was really like Boogie Ellis one on one or Chavez Goodwin one on one, and Chavez Goodwin is like an incredible athlete, but his game is very raw. So it was like it was brutal watching sometimes, like against Oregon in the first matchup when Oregon beat USC at home, like the Trojans just couldn't generate any sort of offense, like it was ugly. But now it's like it's like a different team, and you're right, dude. They can make a run, and I'm, you know I've been very critical of USC all season. I I was I kept telling people like this team's overrated. When they were ranked number seven, I was like this team is not the seventh best team in the country. Well, losing those games to Stanford didn't help. No, yeah, and I mean, you have no business losing any game to Stanford. Never mind two of them. Yeah, but they've turned it. They beat they beat UCLA right before the Super Bowl. Well, to uh, be to be nice fair though against- about Stanford though we always lose at Stanford. Like we just can't play at Stanford. I don't know what it is, but every year we lose at Stanford. It don't matter how good of a team we have. We lose at Stanford. 
Right. So, I mean, that that's, but you think about that where they were, let's say two or three weeks ago, and then they turn around and they beat UCLA. They beat Oregon on the road this weekend. So, I mean, and that's it. And they, they got that big game coming up either like in an hour yep. against Arizona. I'm not staying up for that one. I'll, I'll catch the highlights in the oh, morning. But you're going to miss a is, classic, Patrick. I, I, fact is, you, you, I, I got to say that I'm going to be interested to see where Southern California ends up in the bracket because that's another team which, you know, if you don't pay attention, they might get into a Final Four without people noticing. I think the in, the the biggest thing with Arizona, Oregon, and USC is I think they're very matchup oriented because they have so much size and length that they can give a lot of teams problems that can't match up well. But they can also, if their offense isn't clicking, all three of those teams, dude, it, it could be one and done maybe for them. You know what I mean? Depending on who they match up with. The one team that I think people are sleeping on is San Diego State. Number one defense in the country. And they have this kid, Matt Bradley, who I don't know if you watched the game last night against Wyoming, but dropped a 30-piece and was just, I mean, incredible. Wyoming's first loss at home. And San Diego State may be the best team in the Mountain West. They lost a couple of games early on in the season, but they weren't healthy. And now they're healthy. And now they're really playing some good basketball. They've beaten Colorado State. They beat Utah State at home. They I mean, well-coached team, too, by the way. Very well-coached team. I, I love Brian Doucher. I sort of... Again, it's it's a matter of you know can you turn it on and you can can you t- when being that they've turned it off for so long can they turn it on when they get to an NCAA tournament or is it the type of situation where you know again you know the, the teams peak at the right time maybe that's what San Diego State is doing you know we'll have to see again they're going to fall into that nine or ten seed range and they're going to they be might the be a little bit higher though if they, if they win the Mountain West tournament. I think they could get a little bit higher of a seat because the Mountain West is pretty deep this year. You got Boise State. Yes, they are. You got Colorado State. Uh, UNLV well, is also good. You know, I live well, in Las Well, I mean, Vegas. They're, not, they're not sort of in the bubble conversation. You I mean, they're good, but they're not sort of – I mean, it, again, it's really a matter of, you know, matchups. And, you know, a lot of people didn't have San Diego State in the field before they won last night. So, in that sense, you know, that they – they have a little bit of work to do if they're going to get into that eight, eight, nine range. But again, you know, a team like that gets into the, like UCLA last year. UCLA barely gets in the tournament, and look what happened. Yep. They almost beat Gonzaga on a buzzer beater. So, you know, strange things can happen. All you have to do sometimes it's just a matter of you have to be in it to win it. And maybe a San Diego State gets in it and they do some damage. That's you never right. know. That's right. It's going to be a great tournament, man. Great tournament. I'm gonna get you out of here because I know it's getting late in uh, in New York. I saw that you're a Mets fan, right? Uh, yeah. What's your thoughts on the lockout right now? Before we get out of here, uh, you gotta hope that the play the the players and the owners realize they lose a lot of money if they don't play as soon as possible. Because you know, let's leave us let's leave aside the fact that if you miss a month or two of the season, people might not come back. It's just the reality of, you know, the TV money, the TV people aren't going to pay you for games you don't play. You're not going to get played for, for having empty stadiums for a month. So, so the reality is that, you know, somebody in that room has to realize that it's a lose-lose situation right now. And, you know, I, I don't know whose fault it is exactly. You know, I, look, it's easy to blame the owners because the owners have the money. But the flip side to that is you got players who have agents like Scott Boris, who
who turn around and say, you know what, you know, we need this free agency. We need this arbitration thing to be a little bit better. We need the playoff pool money to be a little bit better. And it, it sometimes it gets to a situation where the person, the egos are so big between the players and the owners that neither side wants to give an inch because the other side will step on it. You know, you give a guy an inch, he's going to take a mile. So, you know, it, 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 some, somebody's got to realize to say, you know what, for the good of the game and the fact that, you know, we might get no money this, this year, let's just get on the field, even if we have to, you know, take a little bit less than we wanted to and just get it done as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean the players hold all the leverage though because you can you can replace 30 owners easily and the game doesn't change. You cannot replace 750 players with the next best 750 players and the game's the same. Although the owners would let you think otherwise and the owners have the big checkbooks. So, you know, you think about that, you know, you know some of these guys are billionaires and some of them can afford to lose a, a few bucks here and there if they're not playing baseball. So, they might have the, you know, look, for all we know, not that they've talked about this, but remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember when they had the big strike in 1994 that knocked out the World Series, the owners eventually decided that they were going to bring in replacement players and we're going to try to play with replace, replacement players until at some point, I think they brought in an arbitrator and they settled it. So, you know, don't don't put the pot, don't leave out the possibility that the owners don't try to play the replacement player card with the idea that that's the way they think they're going to stick it and say, hey, look, we're going to get our games on television. We're going to get our stadiums open, even if no one's going to show up to watch replacement players. But the fact is, I think that the I think because the owners have the financial advantage, the, the reality, though, is that, again, the players, the players know that replacement players are no games at all means that these owners are losing money. So, you know, again, yeah. I think at some point somebody's got to wake up and say, this is just as bad all together. And if we keep doing this, no one's going to watch baseball, even if the best players are on the field. So yep. it could cost them their game. And, and ratings were the highest they've been in like 20 years last year and attendance was up. So, I mean, they're really costing their game. But Patrick, I'm going to get you out of here, man. Thank you for joining me. Make sure to go follow him on Twitter at the Sports JD. Make sure to check out his blog, the Big Big East blog. My guy knows what he's talking about. He's hitting over five hundred on uh, his Big East bets this year too. So follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I you lost could... it tonight though. Uh, who'd you have tonight? I was I was giving, and you know the prop Villanova only won by three. I was giving his nine and a half. Oh, yeah. So I, and Villanova is up by fourteen and a half. But you know that's the way Providence is. They, they scrap they, out until the clock hits zero. Yep, that's true. All right, Patrick, have a good night, brother. Thank you for joining me. We'll definitely be uh, we'll be we'll be talking throughout the NCAA tournament, the Big East tournament. Man, have a great night. Absolutely, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yo, thank you to Patrick Madden and Daniel Lopez for joining me on this week's In The Game podcast. Make sure to follow them both. Check out both their content. Patrick is on the Big Big East blog. You can catch him on Twitter. And Daniel's on the Diamond Talk podcast on the SSAW network. Two great dudes that know about what they're doing. You gotta love it. Make sure to catch me on APR this week. Eddie and I got a big announcement. We're going to be doing 
USFL. We're going to be talking USFL. Um, we're going to preview every single team leading up to opening week. And we are going to handicap the game so you don't have to. So make sure to join us. I appreciate y'all. Check me out on TSP Wagers. That'll be out on Thursday as well. Ben and I will be breaking down an NHL and an NBA game to bet on and, and getting the best bets. Um, you know, just really deep diving into two games. And then catch me on Taproom Sports Podcast with Big Ball and Ben Larson. We'll be drinking some beer, talking some sports, man. I love y'all. We're going to keep this content rolling. Catch me on Twitter. Catch me on TikTok. Wherever you can find me, we're going to be putting out some best bets. We're going to be making some money. I love y'all. Thank you. In the game. All right, all right, all right. Seven and